And now for something completely different. Forget everything you've been told by others before. Get ready for the real deal. The full story. Real talk about money, markets, life. Now, it's The Real Investment Show with Lance Roberts. Presented by RIA Advisors. And good morning. Welcome to the show. Of course, it's Tuesday as we get through uh, you know, the, uh, Monday, right? So Monday, not a good day on the markets yesterday. Uh, fairly decent sell-off that we've had. Again, you know, kind of not really surprising. We've been talking about this for a while now. Markets have gotten very overbought, needed a correction. Uh, yesterday was a, a, a decent one. And in fact, you know, kind of the last two days, you know, on Friday and then yesterday, had a gap down open yesterday morning, finished the day at the lows. We actually gapped down at the open and then we'll lower all day. Finishing at the close, finishing lower yesterday. Now, you know, as we've been talking about here recently, you know, there's you know quite a few levels of technical resistance in here, right? So, you know, the 20-day moving average, then the 100-day below that. Well, we sliced right through that 20-day moving average yesterday, so that puts the 100-day moving average right now in focus, and that's around four, uh, about 4,080 on the S&P. So just, just below where we are now, not a big deal. Markets look to open up a little bit this morning. You know, not surprising after a big sell-off day yesterday, not surprising to see a little bit of oomph, you know, kind of back in the markets. You know, it's, it's too soon now, uh, you know, for the bulls to just completely abandon the rally, right? So we've had this very nice rally, got the bulls all excited. It's something that we talked about, you know, back in, in late July saying, you know, what we needed was a rally that got Jim Cramer on CNBC to start pounding the table, it's time to buy stocks. And well, you know, markets rallied and that's exactly what he did. Um, of course, after the CPI report had come out just a week or so ago, uh, we saw the odds of a Fed rate hike drop from 75 basis points to 50 basis points. And, and the market got very uh, assured here with this rally that the Fed was about to pivot, right? They're gonna start to slow their rate hikes, et cetera. Well, the problem is, is that since then, those, in, those odds of a 75 basis point rate hike in September have been creeping higher, and they've been coming back up. So now there's about a 70% probability that the Fed's going to hike 75 basis points in September. Now, that's, that's a lot more than what this market rally was expecting, and not surprising that's starting to kind of worry the bulls here a little bit. So the point here is this, we've got a lot of things coming up here very soon. The first thing is, of course, we've got the Jackson Hole Wyoming, Wyoming Economic Symposium Summit Fed Chairman Gala Extravaganza, right? So this is where all the central bankers all over the world, they all fly in, increase their carbon footprint, and are, are going to confab about, you know, <laughs> ruling the world and what we need to do monetary policy-wise globally, you know, to fix the problem. And, and look, inflation's a problem everywhere. And, you know, what's interesting is, is that, you know, we did all this money into the economy back in 2020, 2021, and we created all this inflation because when we shut down the economy, we had no production. So now people had money to spend, so they went out and spent it. That drove up. You had a lot of demand, no supply. Basic economics says prices go up, and so you have inflation. And, of course, everybody's saying, well, that wasn't the, the government's money that did that. No, it wasn't that because there's inflation everywhere. Well, that's true because we export inflation. <laughs> and, of course, 
what we did here was also being done in other countries as well. Other countries were doing the same type of thing uh, to help support their economy. But we export our inflation through offshoring and production, and we import cheap stuff. So when we create this booming demand for products, goods, and services that we don't manufacture here, guess what we do to the inflation of other countries? That's right. We drive that up. So, you know, we're kind of like the virus, and, and, and the whole world is now Im- impacted by that. Now these global central bankers are all trying to figure out, well, after doing a decade of monetary liquidity, we need to reverse this course. In fact, we have a record number of banks now starting to talk about tighter monetary policy, not looser monetary policy. So again, this is going to start to weigh on economic growth worldwide. Uh, Central bankers are in a really kind of a tough spot here in terms of how to navigate this, right? They've got this inflation challenge on one hand, but yet they have very weak economic growth on the other hand. And this is going to be a very tough environment. We talk about stagflation all the time, and that's an environment where you have high inflation and low economic growth. Well, that's what we got. So again, it's going to be interesting to watch here. Um, uh, now, technically speaking, you know what we're looking for here is the markets to try to hold support somewhere in here between the 100-day and the 50-day moving average. Uh, we'll see what the markets do today. Wouldn't be surprising to see a little bit of a bounce. Might want to use that bounce uh, temporarily just to kind of, re- if you've had a nice run up in your stocks here, uh, have some positions you need to kind of rebalance and stuff. Uh, be a good time to do that. The reason is, is that the MACD signal, again, this is kind of the, the primary technical indicator that we watch here for kind of buy and sell signals for the markets. It flipped to a sell yesterday. So unless we have a very, very strong rally today or tomorrow, uh, that MACD sell signal is going to stick and potentially start to work its way lower. And that's going to apply downward pressure to markets. And so, so again, kind of just pay attention to this. We have a, you know, an important sell signal in place, suggests that markets can be sloppy here. Now, doesn't mean that we're about to go back and test lows. I was on uh, Charles Payne yesterday on Fox Business News talking with him about this. Like, are we going to retest lows? It's like, yeah, it, you know, it's hard to say we're going to retest lows. Is it possible? Absolutely. Um, but it's hard to say that, yeah, definitely we're going to retest lows here. There's a lot of support here, uh, you know, as, as we've been talking about over the last few days. You know, we did break through the, the 20-day moving average, but we do have the 100-day right below it, then the 50. So, again, lots of technical support here very shortly that could allow markets to kind of bounce down to lower levels, work off this overbought condition that we have um, and again, then set the market up for the next rally. So, so as long as the markets can hold the 50-day moving average, form a higher bottom than what we had back in July, well, that's, that is bullish. And going into the end of the year, that would set up for a, a stronger market environment in the, stronger, you know, in the seasonally stronger period of the year, October, November, December. So you know, over the next month or so, if markets can kind of work off some of this overbought condition, not completely fall apart, then you know, there is a potential here to add exposure to portfolios. But again, just be wary here that you know, we are still moving into tighter monetary policy. The Fed is tightening their balance sheet. Uh, that's ramped up to $95 billion this month. Pay attention to what, we're gonna, what they're going to say at, at Jackson Hole this weekend. They've got the September meeting. So there's a lot of things here over the course of the next you know, really three, four, five weeks that could roil the markets. We're out of earnings season. That's behind us. Estimates are now starting to come down fairly rapidly. I was updating our earnings analysis yesterday, seeing a fairly sharp decline in earnings estimates now. We were running about 240 
just a back in July, we're down to 213 now. So already about a 12% clip off of earnings. And if we do go into a recession later this year or early in 2023, uh, the normal earnings decline uh, for the S&P is about 25 to 30% at least in a light recession. If you get into a real recession, it could be as much as a 50% decline. So, you know, you're looking at a target of about 180 potentially on the S&P in terms of earnings. Now, if, if earnings drop to 180 and prices are still where they are right now, valuations are come soaring back up. So, uh, again, just these are a lot of things to kind of just take in. I know it's a lot of this, you know, kind of disparate information. But there's a lot of bullish bias right now where people are just like, oh, the bull market's back. I'm seeing a lot of headlines, you know, throwing out technical, you know, measures. So, you know, when, when the market did this or that, bull markets are always back. Look, we do have issues that we don't normally have. We have high inflation. We've got slow economic growth. We've got declining earnings. And we've got a Fed that is aggressively moving to tighten monetary policy. That's not friendly to stocks. It's something that we at least need to be aware of. Doesn't mean that we need to be really bearish, but just be aware of it. We'll be right back. We'll talk more about it. You and your money right here on The Real Investment Show. Get daily investment news you can use. Delivered at the speed of the internet at realinvestmentadvice.com. Hi, Lance Roberts here. If you're like most people, your 401k plan represents the bulk of your retirement assets. And unfortunately for many, managing your 401k plan can be difficult. There's so many choices, so many things to consider. With just a quick email, a couple of questions, you can put RIA Advisors to work for you managing your 401k plan. Get started right now at the website, realinvestmentadvice.com, or simply call our toll-free number, 855-RIA-PLAN, or again, simply online at realinvestmentadvice.com. The Real Investment Show. Welcome back to the show this morning. All right, now this is funny. Uh, Brent always puts a little something, something on my uh, my show notes in the morning. Says, uh, I was thrown out of the break room at Walmart. They asked me what I was doing there, and I told them I was on break. And they said, you don't even work here. He said, he said sure I do. I just finished using the self-checkout, so clearly I work here. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> it's true, though. Yeah, that is true. We went to, uh, you know, I, t I told you we recently moved my son up to A&M. Yeah. And my mm -hmm. daughter up to Target. Uh, to <laughs> we moved her to Target. We moved her to Texas Tech. Um, <laughs> and, 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 of course, the traditional you know, thing with it is to go to Target, yes. shop for all the crap yes. they need, right? Mm -hmm. All the stuff they think they need. Right. And uh, so we were in Target at A&M and, uh, yeah, and going through the store. And there was, there was like... It wasn't really busy because people, we were there like a few days early before the actual move. I'm sure like moving date, it was. Oh, last weekend was awful. I, I am absolutely sure in College Station it was crazy. Yeah. So we were there, but we were there about a week or so early. So it wasn't about, so we went to Target and there was basically about maybe 20 people in the whole store. Right. And then they had one checker. Right. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> 
And, and then there was a self-checkout line. Right. Yeah. You know. And was it backed up? No, <laughs> it wasn't. But the whole point is, is like you have one checker in the whole store. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So if you ever you have you have a rush, you're screwed. So. Yeah. It's that so way all you, over. I know. You don't remember? Do you remember back in the day when you went to the gas station to get gas? Oh yeah. And the guy came out and like filled your gas tank for you and cleaned your windshield, checked your oil, popped the hood, popped the hood. Yep. All that, and then never again. That's that's a thing of the past. Yeah, you know, I've been thinking about re, re, restarting one of those. I think it would be a hit. Oh, I think, no doubt. I think, I think that people would like that kind of service. Again. I would gladly pay a premium on gasoline prices for that service. Right. I would. I, I know. There's a way we could jazz that up, but I'm not going to talk about <laughs> it here. <laughs> I saw the look on your face. Yeah, you knew where I was at. <laughs> of course, the women may not like it, but... Well, you have to maybe... You well, know, maybe, equal opportunity. Exactly. Go both ways. <laughs> anyway, back to the show. <laughs> Second gig for firefighters. Just saying. Just, could be the case. Just have to figure out how to make it profitable. I'm Back. sure there's a government grant for that somewhere. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, I guess, you know, you really won't need it eventually. Well, I guess you will, honestly, when everything becomes superchargers, right? Yeah. You'll still need yeah. somebody to come out and plug the supercharger in for you. Got to have someone to clean the contacts. Exactly. And then, you know, while you sit there for 45 minutes, they <laughs> dance and sing songs for you while you charge your car. There you go. Serving adult beverages. There we go. There we go. Mm-hmm. Supercharger station with a bar and... Servers. No, no, um, you know, like Broadway theatrics, oh, yeah. right? Yeah, live show so, entertainment. Have live show entertainment mm-hmm. while you're there for your 45 minutes or an hour, hour and a half, whatever it takes to recharge your car. Think of the possibilities. <laughs> Somebody's at home going, that's a billion-dollar idea. <laughs> Copyright Lance Roberts 2022. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, that ain't going to happen. Uh, okay, a couple of things to get into. This. AMC. Um, we talked yesterday, uh, our daily market commentary yesterday uh, on the website, if you go to realinvestmentadvice.com, was bloodbath and beyond. And, of course, we were talking about the decimation of you know shareholders in Bed Bath & Beyond after the very sharp three-week run-up in the stock price that came to a very sudden and ugly conclusion as everybody that was pumping the stock up bailed out of the stock. Uh, Ryan Cohen and, and and others. So, you know, there was a few people that made money on that deal. There was a whole lot of money. People lost money. I'm just waiting for the lawsuits to show up for that one. Um, AMC yesterday, another one of those stories uh, in the meme stock space, was down about 44% yesterday as Cineworld, we talked about this on the show yesterday morning, is filing for bankruptcy. Uh, just, you know, look, the reality is, is people aren't going back to movie theaters, at least not right now, and faces a couple of problems. The, the whole theater chain faces problems, not just Cineworld, but also AMC, everybody else, is that there's too much competition now between online streaming, which is cheaper than going to a movie. So, you know, it's one of those things that, you know, it's just a changing economic environment. And, and that Cineworld bankruptcy, I keep wanting to say Cinnabon, a Cineworld bankruptcy rolled over, and that's also Regal Cinemas. Cineworld is Regal Cinemas here in the U.S., uh, rolled over into the AMC shares yesterday. This morning, uh, as we talked about yesterday, the Ape shares, which are the AMC preferred equity shares, will be trading 
this morning as well. So just the saga of the meme stocks continue. But uh, again, as I said yesterday, that whole kind of meme stock space has really just kind of come apart over the last you know few days. But again, that was that that was the, that coincident rally that we saw in the markets over the last several weeks. You know, really since July, you know, money was pouring back in the markets. So a lot of short covering. A lot of that short covering was in some of these you know kind of more speculative names. So we saw those stocks run up, and then of course now that a lot of that short covering has been done, the selling came back and started to hit those stocks in particular. Uh, yesterday, and we kind of saw, you know, pretty much a broad-based sell-off yesterday. Um, you know, the the positive news was that you know it wasn't, you know, just one of those disaster days in the markets. Uh, the market did gap down open yesterday. We talked about that just a few minutes ago, and you know, spent the rest of the day kind of just grinding its way lower. It just, you know, never really kind of got off the mat. And just, you know, that was just a fairly consistent level of, of selling all day long yesterday. And it was really pretty much broad-based across the board. Energy did a little bit better than, you know, other sectors. Of course, it was already kind of beaten up. So money kind of rotating, you know, towards those energy stocks. Energy stocks were still down a little bit yesterday, but, uh, you know, not nearly as much as, you know, kind of the tech space, Amazon, Google, Microsoft, Apple, you know, those were kind of leading the, the, the charge lower yesterday. So, you know, we'll see what there is kind of follow through wise today. Futures are, are, like I said, are about flat this morning and not surprising, you know, but I wouldn't expect it to hold. I, you know, if we do have a little bounce this morning, I think people are going to sell into it. Uh, so if you need to rebalance your portfolio this morning might be a really good opportunity to do it if the market does kind of bounce up a little bit. I do think it kind of sells off potentially later today as investors are starting to get a little bit worried here. As we talked about, you know, the, the, the odds of Fed rate hikes are going up, more aggressive ones. And, you know, the economic data is okay, but it's not great. And we still have a lot to do in terms of, you know, dropping earnings estimates and getting them more in line with, you know, economic realities. And that means that prices are going to have to reprice lower at some point to, to, to kind of line themselves with lower earnings. And, you know, as much as that we kind of want, you know, markets to stay elevated, regardless of what help, you know, what kind of what else happens in the economy, Unfortunately, markets are ultimately tied to economic growth, which is what feeds into and provides revenues and, and earnings for companies. So again, it's really just kind of hard to fathom how you know this market rallies to all-time highs here um, with what's going on economically in terms of just inflation and economic growth. But then layer on top of that, as I said a minute ago, with the Fed aggressively tightening monetary policy and not just domestically right this is this is globally and, and as i said we're going to have the the you know global confab of central bankers converge on jackson hole wyoming at the end of the month you know to talk about what their next moves are and i and i doubt very seriously they come out of that meeting saying well you know we're done time to start lowering rates again and getting back to zero just don't really see that you know happening and so that suggests that this market could remain under pressure for a little while longer. So we certainly want to kind of just pay it just just again, just kind of paying attention to, you know, those risks 
that are out there. And and this is kind of, as I said, I was talking with Charles Payne yesterday and, and discussing, you know, this very fact, which is that, you know, it, it's, it's easy to be bullish when markets are going up. It's more difficult to separate out, though, in an, in an environment between technically bullish indicators, which we do have, and as we've, we've talked about this on the show several times, that, you know, the number of stocks above their 50-day moving average has reached 90%. Historically, that's pretty bullish and tends to lead to higher prices over the next, you know, 6, 8, 12 months. You know, a 50% retracement of the decline normally says a market bottom is in, but, but this time is different. You know, this time is different. If you go back to the 60s and 70s, it was interesting because you had several points in that period that 50% retracements of the decline did lead to new highs. And you're like, ah, see, it's true. And, and it was true. And unfortunately, each one of those new, new highs led to a bear market that went right to a lower low. And it was this repetitive grind of rally, decline, bear market, rally to a new high, decline to a new low, rally to a new high. And in 1974, he got wiped out. And it was this kind of broadening base of these bear markets over about a 15-year period, which left investors with negative real rates of return over that entire period. And it was tough. And that's the only comparable period that we have to look at compared to now, considering where inflation is and what the Fed's doing to combat it. And am I saying that we're about to have that same type of environment now? No, every time is different. But from a variable standpoint, it's the only thing we have to look to for some type of precedent to suggest what could be the outcome for stocks. Be right back after the break. investment advice blog it's required reading for the informed investor catch it today at realinvestmentadvice.com in 1999 a parafiduciary group of financial advisors were busted by corporate giants for trying to operate in their clients best interest these men promptly escaped from a high cost margin environment to the houston energy corridor today still excoriated by their former employers they survive as protectors of others' fortunes. If you have a problem about preserving capital, if no one else can help, and you can find them right here, maybe you should hire the RIA team. You're listening to The Real Investment Show. Good morning. Welcome back to the show. It's uh, 6.30 as uh, we kind of get this Monday going. A uh, little bit of economic data out this morning. Uh, S&P has uh, their global U.S. manufacturing PMIs uh, out this morning for both manufacturing and services. 
Also, the Richmond Manufacturing Index is out as well, expecting a negative uh, negative 0.5 read on that, or negative 5 reading on that versus zero previously. Those reports have been coming in a little bit better than expected. Uh, expectations have gotten really kind of ratcheted down, so we've seen quite a few of the manufacturing indexes kind of beat uh, estimates here lately. And again, not surprising. Uh, this is why we're seeing economic surprise indexes go up. The Atlanta Fed is still ratcheting a little, you know, uh, some growth for the third quarter. And, and again, that's not kind of, it's not really surprising at all. Um, you know, quarter one, quarter two of this year was a big inventory reduction process for companies. Uh, you know, they had ramped up on a bunch of inventory. We talked about the bullwhip effect, wrote an article about that at realinvestmentadvice.com. And so really a lot of that, that negative GDP we saw in the first quarter was a contraction of consumption but also this liquidation of inventories. You know, we just saw in Target's recent report that they had been slashing prices dramatically to get rid of stuff. Amazon Prime Day had a bunch of sales, but they were selling stuff like 89% off, uh, just trying to get that inventory out the door. So that, that certainly drags on economic growth. So, you know, very well could see a, a bit of a, a, a positive revision to quarter two economic growth gets that back into positive territory. So then we'll see, you know, basically, uh, you know, kind of a, you know, just one quarter of negative growth in the first quarter, a little bit of positive growth second quarter, and then kind of flattish growth in third and fourth quarter. Wouldn't be surprising as we head into the end of the year. You've got Christmas, Thanksgiving, all that. We talked about that yesterday. So, so again, as we, you know, kind of look at this, you know, we have to juxtapose that to what the Federal Reserve is doing as we we're talking about and what's coming down the road. And again, that's going to be slower economic growth. So, you know, you have to remember that coming into this year, economists were expecting 6% annual growth in the economy this year. And we're not going to get anywhere near that. So all that's getting revised backwards now. And of course, that slower economic growth was also what propelled earnings estimates to be as high as they were. So all that's got to work backwards. So again, this is why, you know, as, as we're talking about just, it, it makes it a little tough here to navigate the markets. I know we've been talking about this a lot lately, and, and I wish there was just a really clear answer for you. Just says, hey, go buy this and go buy that and you'll be fine, right? But, you know, that's just not the way it works. And what's interesting is that, you know, we still have a lot of individuals that kind of expect markets to be making a positive return. I got a very interesting email just the other day from a guy saying, I don't understand why my portfolio is down this year. And, you know, it's like, you know, I have an advisor and I don't understand why my portfolio is down. Why aren't we making money this year? And, you know, it's like, because the markets are down. It's, it's, you know, there's, you know, if, if you're investing in the markets and markets are down, you're going to be down. You know, and, and it's interesting. It's like, well, you know, you can short the market and you can do those things. And yes, you can. The, the problem with that, ultimately, and in, in trying to make these, these kind of major moves and wonder, you know, I'm, I'm going to be long the market when the market's going up. I'm going to be short the market when the market's going down. I'm always going to make money. Sounds great in theory. Doesn't work out that way because you, by the time you realize you need to be short, it's too late. By the time you realize you need to be long, it's too late. And, you know, people that invest in, you know, very negatively biased funds tend to miss out on, 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 you know, kind of the majority of the gains in the market. So those that are, you know, invested in very aggressive growth funds tend to take the big brunt of the hit during, during down markets. And so 
this is why it's always important to try to find a balance where you're you're happy with returns when markets are going up and you're okay with whatever losses you take when the markets are going down. So if the markets are down 10 and you're down three or four, okay, right? No big deal. But that's investing in how you, you have to approach it. And, and trying to always make money in the markets is where people get in, in very difficult positions because they wind up getting on the wrong side of the trade eventually. And that's just a function of time. You may time it a few times and get it just, I mean, just nail it just right. But eventually you're going to miss it. And then that's going to be the, the problem. And, and this is why it's important that, as I said, is, is to find a balance to your portfolio that says, okay, if markets are up, you know, I can generate, if markets are up 10, I can generate 6, 7, 8%. If markets are down 10, I'm going to lose 3 or 4 now, if you can find that balance and be happy with it, then you're going to be great long term. Because again, when you're not, even though you underperform in years that markets are higher, if you can outperform in negative years, you're going to wind up beating your benchmark index over time. Now, you're not going to beat it every year. And this is some of the big fallacies that I see from people that they report every year is like, last year, 87% of large cap funds underperformed their index. Okay, so what? Trying to pick the one fund that is going to outperform in a given year is just as hard as picking the one stock that's going to outperform in a given year. And most likely, if you pick the one fund that outperforms the index in a given year, they're going to underperform the next year, right? Hot funds never tend, and this is the big problem with investors, they tend to chase the hot fund, right? You know, they, they get the reports and, you know, Money Magazine says the top 10 best performing mutual funds last year were, and everybody goes and buys those funds, and whatever was driving, whatever the catalyst was driving that fund, generally doesn't last much longer. Uh, you know, generally funds outperform one or two years, and then they underperform. And it's just because of of the market dynamics change, the market changes, and so whatever strategy was working for that little brief period is going to change. If you look at a periodic table of returns as a good example, you know, it'll tell you that. You know, this year, commodities are outperforming. And about midway down the list is the S&P, and at the bottom is emerging markets. So if you looked at that periodic table of returns, you go, okay, well, if, if commodities are outperforming, I need to buy commodities. So you buy commodities. Well, if you look at a periodic table of returns over time, what you'll see is, is that commodities never are the top performer more than for just about one year. And then they drop to the bottom performing list. And generally, what's ever at the bottom of the list goes to the top of the list in the next year. So if you really want to try to outperform the market, buy what didn't work last year, and you'll wind up doing better over time. Right? Somewhere in the middle, most of the time, is the S&P. Because of the way it's structured. It kind of floats around the middle most of the time. Sometimes it's at the very top of the list, but... Not very often. And so, you know, and this is why, you know, trying to chase what was working doesn't really work out well. But having a balance and some diversification and some risk management does work over time. And again, you're not ever going to be at the top of the list, but you're not going to be at the bottom of the list either in terms of performance. You'll be somewhere in the middle most of the time. 
but that'll help you win over the long term. And I know that's 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 hard because we get so wrapped up in the competition of having to beat the index this year. I got to beat it now. I got to be making more money than everybody else now. And what we wind up doing is taking on a lot of one-sided bet risk that tend to go in the other direction. You know, as we were talking about back in early, you know, late May, early June, oil prices were so overbought that they were going to have a correction. And at that time, everybody was just piling into energy stocks. Well, here it is two months, late, two months later, nobody wants to buy energy stocks anymore. Now's a good time to buy them. Well, a better time to buy them, I should say. Not necessarily a good time, but a better time to buy them because they've had a big correction. And so your opportunity there for a rotation from growth back into materials, commodities, et cetera, is, is opportunistic. Dollar's getting stronger. So we'll see. But you know, these are the you know, these are the things we have to think about. And there was a, a very interesting article on CNBC this morning talking about the growing risk of a major financial accident that causes a market capitulation later in the year could open up opportunities for investors to pile up on quality risk assets. This is according to Beat Whitman, chairman and partner at Zurich-based Porta Advisors. With risk from inflation, economic slowdown mounting, and central banks treading on increasingly narrow monetary policy paths, Whitman characterized the global economy as stuck in a perfect storm environment of supply chain frictions, contracting final demand, high inflation, rising interest rates, falling corporate earnings, and a potential for a financial accident. And, and that's, that's the battle, right? That's one camp here. The other camp is that the bottom of the market's in and we're all going higher. So you've got to make your bet, right? You've got to, you've got to, you've got to pick, your, pick your place. Or you pick a little both. You build your portfolio to capitalize if markets rise and to hedge some risk in case markets do go down. But that's, that, see, that's, that's ultimately is the challenge. That investors face and, and the mistake we always make as investors is we tend to do a lot of hindsight bias in terms of making our asset selection instead of looking at where the markets are heading to instead be right back after the break Daily investment news you can use. Delivered at the speed of the internet at realinvestmentadvice.com. In 1999, a fiduciary group of financial advisors were busted by corporate giants for trying to operate in their clients' best interest. These men promptly escaped from a high-cost margin environment to the Houston Energy Corridor. Today, still excoriated by their former employers, they survive as protectors of others' fortunes. If you have a problem about preserving capital, if no one else can help, and you can find them right here, maybe you should hire the RIA team. The Real Investment Show. 
this morning. Get ready to wrap it up. A uh, few earnings out this morning. Zoom video communications, you know, they uh, rose to prominence during the economic lockdown. Zoom was this little online video company kind of out of nowhere. It's like online meetings. Everybody was like, you know, prior to the pandemic, it's like, who wants to do that, right? No, nobody wants to sit there online on a computer and visit with other people. That's stupid. FaceTime for computers. And of course, once the lockdown came, uh, that's where everybody went. And and Zoom did two things that was, you know, amazing, which is, one, they were in the forefront of it, right? So they were one of the early, early kind of early adopted software programs. I mean, Teams was out there, Skype was out there, but, you know, they had made a lot of inroads to a great degree. Teams has become more popular now as people were looking for alternatives to Zoom. And then, and then since Zoom um, and since the lockdown, obviously there's lots of platforms now. There's a bunch of streaming platforms that are out there, so people have options, which is you know, problematic. But what, what is, is important about Zoom is, is they became the acronym for online meetings. You know, it's kind of like when you go into a, a restaurant and you go, I'll have a Coke. Well, do you actually want a Coke or do you want Dr. Pepper, Sprite, whatever? You know, but Coke kind of became ubiquitous for, you know, carbonated drinks, sodas. Zoom became the, the ubiquitous term for any online meeting. You know, in, in, people even got nicknamed Zoomies and Zoomers, right? So, so, so you know, it's, it's, they, they achieved that status, right? Kind of like Starbucks. They became the, the, the ubiquitous term for a coffee shop. Well, they reported earnings yesterday, and I thought it was interesting because, again, you know, the, the two problems that Zoom has, and this is the problem with all these technology companies in general. It's the problem with Facebook. It's the problem with all these others. And, and again, you know, I, you know, judging by the amount of crap that I have on our Facebook page, I can assure you that out of you know, Facebook claims they have like a billion users, I'll bet 900 million of them are bots and fake accounts. I don't think there's really that many people using Facebook anymore. That's just my opinion, but you know, everybody's pretty much tuned out of that nonsense. And you know, we'll see. We'll see what happens to it. But the the point is is there's no barrier for entry. It's not difficult to hire a couple of programmers and create another Zoom, right? And call it something else. And take what people are missing in Zoom and add it to another platform, you know, so you have, you know, a, a, a competitive pat platform. And then, of course, now as people kind of getting back out of the world and realizing that you don't have to be locked up in your house anymore, you can actually go out into the world. This is an awesome thing. The need for Zoom is declining a bit. And that kind of showed up in their earnings. Zoom was down 11.5% uh, pre-market or is down 11.5% pre-market, after the video conferencing company cut its full-year forecast. Zoom reported better-than-expected earnings for the last quarter, but revenue fell short of forecast. Zoom CFO said the company is having some difficulty attracting new paying subscribers. And see, that's the problem. There's too much... Competition, same for streaming services, right? Uh, Netflix is having problems. Disney's going to have problems. Too much competition in the, in the streaming services. 
they're trying to raise prices and consumers are going, hmm, I got better alternatives or I've got other alternatives. You know, it's one of the, if you remember a while back, you know, we were talking about cable and everybody was like, well, everybody's going to cut the cord. We're all going to go, you know, just go internet streaming. We're all just going to stream just our services, right? We're just going to have Netflix and then Hulu and Amazon Prime, you know, whatever. So everybody launched these streaming services because we're supposed to cut the cord. Well, you know, what everybody's figuring out now is that by the time you have all your services, it's cheaper to have cable. And you still got to pay the cable company for the internet because without the internet and the Wi-Fi, you don't stream anything. So, um, you know, there's your problem. Unless you have unlimited wireless data and you're just going to stream it over your phone bill. So, you know, these, these are the challenges with these areas. And, and look, there's going to be a winner in all of this eventually. You know, there, there's going to be the winner. And the question is going to be which one it is. You know, the, the problem for Zoom is that revenue growth is slowing down to single digits, which is kind of what you would expect to happen. I mean, this is a company that matured very quickly in a space that's becoming very crowded very quickly. And, you know, this is a company. Now, this, this you know, Zoom is down, you know, from its peak, which was around, you know, just shy of 600 Stock's down to 97.44. So, you know, you've clipped a lot off the value of this company over the course of last year. And basically, it's Zoom is basically returning back to where it kind of originally IPO'd, more or less. And still, even after that decline, right, from 600 to 97, it's still trading at a price to sales of seven times, which is very high. Now, it was trading nearly 20 times price to sell, so you've cut a lot of that nonsense out, but still, seven times price to sell, that's very pricey, and you've got to have revenue growth, uh, you know, at three or four hundred percent a year to maintain that price to sales level. And this is a company that that has sales of 4.2 billion, but income of about one one you know, 1.2 billion on it. So it does make money, which is good, but still valuation is very expensive. And even on a Ford PE basis, they're still trading at 24 times earnings. So again, it's a it's a pricey company, even at these levels. And now you're talking about single digit revenue growth going forward, which is going to make this even more complicated to try to maintain that. So. And again, you know, and, and, and as I was saying, you know, the more and, and the, there's other choices out there as well. Palo Alto Networks, uh, they're up a bit this morning. Earnings were better. Cybersecurity company. Now, cybersecurity is a space that, um, you know, is interesting. Everybody's getting hacked all the time. So cybersecurity makes a lot of sense. Company reported better than expected quarterly results issued an upbeat forecast. Palo Alto is also announcing... Uh, its board of directors have approved a three-for-one stock split. So that's helping lift that stock this morning about 10%. But here's another company, too. I mean, you know, when we come back and, 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 and you know, kind of look at Palo Alto, this is a company that, again, you know, traded at very high multiples, still trades at a nine, you know, nine, almost 10 times price of sales. It's still very expensive. And even though they've got, you know, strong sales, their sales are about $5 billion right now, they have a negative $389 million in income. So this is still a very expensive company. The company's come down from about six fifty dollars to five hundred dollars this year. So, you know, there's 
and it's going to rally again. It'll rally a little bit this morning. But again, this is a, a very, you know, it's a stock in a very good space. But the problem with a lot of these these tech companies is that they're still very expensive. They all had huge runs during the kind of speculative mania in 2020, 2021. And Palo Alto Networks is a good example. Hasn't really given up a lot of that game. So it's still trading at very expensive multiples. And as we've talked about here on the show before, when you buy something at 10 times price to sales, in order to justify that, the company literally has to pay every single dollar of revenue out to its customers. It can't pay for employees. It can't pay taxes. It can't pay dividends. It can't pay anything, which is a little bit illegal in a lot of cases. So, you know, when you think about 10 times price to sales, it's very important long term. And fundamental valuations do eventually matter. And it's just a function of when that they matter. I mean, but again, you know, cybersecurity is one of those areas that that there's a big need for it. So it's it's a justification. You have to just realize that you're really overpaying for asset prices uh, in some of these areas. Dick Sporting Goods, a retailer beat top and bottom line for the second quarter, raises full year forecast. Comparable store sales sank by 5.1% for the quarter. Medtronic gained 1.1% uh, pre-market after reporting a quarterly profit and revenue. JD.com, uh, they saw a 9.2% increase in active customer use. This is the e uh, kind of the Chinese-based e-commerce company. Uh, Warner Brothers Discovery, nearly 10 million viewers watched Game of Thrones, HBO Max, last night. It was the biggest premiere of a series in HBO history. 10 million people watched the, the Game of Thrones prequel called House of the Dragon. Now, actually, Sunday night at 9 p.m. I didn't stay up that late to watch it, but I will get around to watching it. Um, this is the uh, a record for the HBO series debut. Warner Brothers Discovery gained about 1.4% pre-market. Again, you know, one of the big challenges for Warner Brothers, HBO, Showtime, any of these is going, and, and there's so many of them, right? You got Paramount Plus, Disney Plus, Netflix. You have all these streaming services. The, the, the big problem is coming up with content and good content. So when you get something like a House of the Dragon, that is following on a great series, uh, Game of Thrones. You know, that's a franchise. And there's, there's lots of prequels and sequels and stuff lined up for Game of Thrones. Uh, HBO has like a decade's worth of material in, in the process coming off of Game of Thrones, kind of like Disney's doing with Marvels. But, you know, the problem is going to keep the quality up. And that's going to be the issue to, to continue to attract new subscribers and new users quality of content, frequency of content becomes a big challenge for online streaming services. All right, wrap it up for this morning. Still didn't get to my story about more kids are fat and unhealthy because of global warming. We'll just put that on tomorrow's page. Yeah, I'll get there eventually. Yeah. Yeah. All right, wrap it up for the day. Get by the website, realinvestmentadvice.com. When it comes time to buy stocks, you won't want to. That's today's blog post on the website, realinvestmentadvice.com. Also check out our Simplevisor platform, all of our research, we just added some new tools there for you on relative rotation analysis and more to help you kind of sort through the markets and also the digital advisor platform. Uh, the platform can actually manage your money for you. So it's all there, simplevisor.com. Have a great day. Be back here tomorrow. Whoa, exactly.